Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Geo and Joey show, where we tackle political, cultural, and social issues from a Protestant worldview. Joey, how are you doing today? Doing good. Couldn't be more excited for this episode number four. It's going to be good. We got a really great topic lined up. It's interesting you say episode number four because it's exciting. We just started this podcast and we're on episode number four. And you can find us wherever you find podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And we obviously have this YouTube channel. So subscribe, give us a rating, five star, give us an honest review. We'd appreciate it. Look, Joey, obviously you and I attack things from a Protestant worldview. And today we're going to look at a speech that was given at university. And this speech is talking about the conclusions that following Darwin leads to. And some of those conclusions are horrific. And we're starting to see the outcome of that in society today. You have seen this video before. But before we dive into the first clip, what do you remember about it and what stood out to you? I would say the biggest thing that stuck out to me is... Sometimes, especially university students and stuff, we can be made to feel like like if we believe in God, if we believe in creation, we're the rubes, right? We're, you know, we're <laughs> not the sophisticated ones. But in reality, that couldn't be further from the truth. There's plenty of evidence you know, for an intelligent design and, and a designer behind things. So it was just, it was kind of a good reinforcement of that. And also just what flows from the idea that there is no creator and we're all just some sort of cosmic accident. It's actually a pretty horrific worldview. Yes, it is. And it leaves people without hope. So let me set up this first scene. This first scene, the speaker is talking about Emory College denying or wanting to deny Ben Carson from speaking at Emory College for a commencement address. But listen to what the video says as to why they didn't want to let Ben Carson speak. He actually ended up doing, but I want you to see the nature of their protest. Here it is. It says, we are writing to call the attention of the Emory community to this year's commencement speaker's denial of, what's that word? Evolution. Dr. Ben Carson is a world-renowned neurosurgeon who has advanced medicine and who has supported the education of countless children through his philanthropic organization. These accomplishments can provide a great inspiration to graduating Emory students, but as those students, their families, and the Emory community listen to his speech, we ask you to consider also the, the enormous positive impact of science on our lives and how, and here you go, this is a logical leap if there ever was one, how science rests squarely on the shoulders of evolution. Okay, continuing on. What is most deeply concerning about Dr. Carson's dismissal of evolution is that he equates the acceptance of evolution with a lack of ethics and morality. He states, now quoting Dr. Carson in the letter of protestation. Okay, this is their, they quote him, and so this is the thing that they're upset about. Ultimately, if you accept the evolutionary theory, you dismiss ethics. Now, this is Carson. You do not have to abide by a set of moral codes. You determine your own, what is that word there? You determine your own conscience based on your own desires, end quote. Now, I don't, I don't want you to miss this. This is crucially important. When those concerned staff, faculty, and students of Emory University wrote the letter of protest against Dr. Carson's coming, which again, I, I want to uh, remind you, he did go and speak. But 
the concern was not merely that he denied Darwinian evolution as, as the source of biological origins and diversity, but here's the most important point. They said the thing that really upsets us is that he has the audacity to suggest that evolution entails something. That evolution, what did I say? And what that means is that something follows naturally and logically from evolution, or a belief in evolution, Darwinian evolution, and what, what Carson had the temerity and the audacity to suggest is that what follows from it is a dismissal of the grounds of ethics and morality. You just do whatever you want based on your own conscience. Now, to be clear, Carson was not saying that all agnostics and all evolutionists and all atheists and all non-Christian peoples are immoral. He certainly wasn't saying that. What he was saying is that Darwinian thinking entails certain consequences if you adopt the basic premise. And people say, what? This is an outrage. We don't want this guy here denying the very superstructure of science, which is, of course, not at all correct, but I don't have time to develop that tonight. That first clip to me is, I think, what's lacking in society today. I think people do not take into account their worldview and where it ends up if you follow it to its logical conclusion. The first thing that sh stuck out of me about that is just the arrogance of it. I believe it was a, a reporter from the Associated Press years ago asked the former Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia, was like, do you believe in like an afterlife? Do you believe in God? Do you believe in the devil? And he said, yeah, yeah, I do. And then the reporter said something to the effect of, don't you feel unsophisticated or don't you feel... And here's Antonin Scalia, the guy's a genius, level IQ. And he just, and Scalia just whips back, he's like, you do understand that much more intelligent people than you and I have believed in God and the devil. I know there's plenty of smart people who believe in evolution, and depending what you define, I mean, I agree with it on a micro level, but as far as explanatory on a macro level, you know, I disagree. But this, the idea that not only that this theory is true, but that anyone who would dare disagree with it shouldn't even be allowed to speak, which that in and of itself flies in the face of actual science, because the whole point of science is more voices. I just think that's a little ironic. Not only that, the fact that you just mentioned that they want to silence speech, and this is not, this was at a university, Emory University, where you're supposed to wrestle with different ideas. But it's not the fact that what they were upset at, and that's what gets at it, is that the atheists, and the speaker did say, he's not saying that atheists do not have morals or cannot have morals, but they don't have a foundation for their morals like you and I have. Our morality comes from God. And what he's saying that what upset them is the reality that without God, you have no foundation for ethics. And a couple of the clips we're going to see make that point even more directly. What do you think about that? That's really good. And when you think about, again, because we're discussing things from a Protestant point of view, and we think, uh, especially when we think of politics, right? When we think of the foundation of this country, what did our founders rest the idea of inalienable rights on, right? They, they weren't specific. They weren't Bible thumping. They weren't whatever, but they, they rested it in the idea of a creator, right? They said, we are all created equal. In evolution, there's no created equal. It's 
the stronger dog kills the weaker dog. <laughs> it's survival of the fittest. There's no human rights that entail from that. Like David was saying in that video, there's plenty of atheists who believe in human rights. But it's like the legs of the stool aren't there is the way I kind of think of it. It's like they believe in this edifice, but they have nothing to really back it up the way those of all of the theistic faiths, the monotheistic faiths, Muslims, Jews, and Christians do. It's funny you mentioned the word creator. And just recently here, there was a little controversy with our vice president, who in fighting for the 50th anniversary, you have a smile on your face. Tell the audience what was it she said and what she left out. Well, so she doesn't, I've noticed she doesn't tend to talk about the Constitution a lot, but she decided to talk about the Declaration. She had an interesting rendition. I think she left <laughs> out, she said, we're all endowed. She didn't say by who, but she said we're all endowed by some amorphous thing, I guess. <laughs> She didn't say creative, but we're all endowed to liberty and the pursuit of happiness. And for, for those who know, right, the Declaration says we're endowed by a creator with the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But she left the creator out and she left life out. It's ironic because what she's talking about is women's right to abortion. And so she couldn't exactly say we're all endowed with the right to life when she's talking about abortion. So I just I thought that was a little humorous. Uh, let me jump in here real quick. Not only that is this the case she's making was that you can't take rights away from us. The government doesn't have that jurisdiction to take rights away from us, and everybody should be able to pursue a liberty and happiness. But she left out life. Go ahead. What were you gonna say? I do believe that Kamala Harris is is a professing Christian. I don't want to get too conspiratorial about the fact that she left it out. But I do think there's something that's gone awry when our public officials are even a little shy of talking about the creator. Because it's like, yes, we believe in a separation of church and state. But like, when we think about it, though, all of that is rested on the idea is that we're all created equal. Our atheist brothers and sisters are created equal to us. So they have the right for freedom of religion. So it's like, when you take out that superstructure, yeah, we still have the rights, right? And for now, we do still have the Constitution protecting us, right? But how long, how long can the Constitution hold when we've kicked out the legs? And that's the thing that she left out, not so much in words, even though she didn't mention creator, but in her attitude, right? because she was arguing that the government can't take away rights. In other words, that there are certain rights that are endowed upon us, but by who? By her not mentioning the creator, she undermines her own argument because then if you don't acknowledge the creator, then you are acknowledging that somebody gave you those rights. And if some human gave you those inalienable rights, then that some human can take them away. And that's why logic and reasoning is so important. You have to take your argument to its fullest conclusion, to its lowest common denominator. And if it doesn't make sense, it falls apart. Yeah, absolutely. And I think another part of this that I don't want to get lost is that I think when you take away the creator, one of the reasons for why that might be attractive to the carnal heart is because if there's a creator and there's someone that we're responsible to who gave us these rights, that also implies that there's duty as well. In other words, we all love talking about right and left in this country about our rights, but we don't 
necessarily like talking about our duty and our responsibility. I think that was especially pertinent in that discussion, right? Because it's like, yes, a woman does have bodily autonomy over her body, but what, what happens when there's another life inside of that? Well, then we have to start balancing her rights to autonomy with her responsibility, her filial piety, right, to her child. So it's like, you can't have the rights without the responsibility. So I, I think that's an important part too. If there's a creator, there's going to be someone we're responsible to. Yeah, I like using the word that we're accountable to. And if there is a creator, people don't want to be held accountable for anything in these days. Let's go ahead to clip number two, where the speaker goes on to make this argument that evolution entails something. And we're going to see that some of these prominent evolutionists agree with Ben Carson. Now, I want to give you a quotation here from one of the most fascinating men that I've ever come to know. His name is Will. I don't know him personally, but the interviews and videos and, and articles of his that I've read, he's a fascinating man. He's a professor of science at Cornell University, and he's also a population geneticist. His name is William B. Provine. And uh, Dr. Provine, in the 1988 Darwin Keynote Address, okay, so it's the Darwin Day Keynote Address, and he stands up to make his case. He's a, an avowed atheist, an avowed Darwinian, and, a, you know, just the guy is singing the party line from that end of the academic spectrum. And I want you to notice what he said in his Keynote Address. He says, naturalistic evolution, that is godless evolution, has clear has clear what? Has clear what? That's exactly what Ben Carson said. He said, it's not just the evolution thing, it's, the it's what flows from evolution. He says, naturalistic evolution has clear consequences that Darwin understood perfectly, and then he gives five. There are more, he gives five. Number one, no gods worth having exists. Right? He said, if you affirm that, this is a consequence of that. Number two, no life after death exists. Number three, no ultimate foundation for... Now, who said that? Who was the other guy who said that? Who was the first guy that we talked about that said that? Now, don't miss that. Carson says, hey, if you embrace evolution, then you lose a foundation for ethics. And Emory University said, we can't have this nonsense. We can't. This is an affront to academic. And then here you have somebody saying, this is, on Darwin Day, what evolution entails. No ultimate foundation for ethics, which is the same thing that Carson was saying. No ultimate meaning in life exists and human free will is non-existent. Let me stop the video here for a second. What's interesting is that the atheist, look at this list. The atheist doesn't believe in God, so he doesn't care about number one. Presumably, he doesn't care about number two. However, the same thing Ben Carson said that Emory University was all up in arms about, this guy, Dr. William B. Provine from the 1988 Darwin Day keynote, said the same thing. No ultimate foundations for ethics exist. If you're a moral atheist, how do you get your morality? The leaders of the evolution movement say there is no foundation for ethics to ground itself on. And then the next one I want you to expound on, no ultimate meaning in life exists. Why is that? Why does that entail from evolution? Yeah, if there's no God, right? I can see a world where you can find can find pleasure in your family and your enjoyments, but there's nothing really, like, those things aren't nothing, but, like, at the end of the day, you and your family are just going to go turn back into worm food and then <laughs> without the idea of a creator 
loves you and created you and created you for a purpose in such a way as Christians believe that actually as humans is the only race that had to be redeemed, right, had to be saved, where our lives have eternal cosmic significance, right? Because we're showing to the worlds that exist out there that God is good and that he can and he's willing to save, like he would save even someone as wretched as any of us. I'm going to go to an extreme example for a second. But like you think of like, think of like Anne Frank, a young Holocaust victim who died at I think 13. And you think of her life and the suffering that she had to experience for the short time that she was in it. And you think, if this is all there is, if there's no God, then then that whole life was just a cruel joke. I don't believe that, right? I believe that Anne Frank's life had eternal significance, right? I believe the God of the universe weeps when he thinks of the pain that she went through. But if you take that away, then it's just this kind of sick joke that happened, you know? When you look at society today and you see the inhumane, you think of that young man who was killed <laughs> by the four to five police officers. You know, there was no reason for that. And yet society is horrified by that. However, it's going to sound cruel, but why should they? If evolution is real, then why should they? The reason we feel horrified by that is because we know that young man had inalienable rights that were violated. And that we know with the video evidence that those police officers acted in a way that they shouldn't act. Nevertheless, based on the little clip we just saw by Provine saying that there is no grounds for ethics, then what he's saying is what happened to that young man and what those police officers did really isn't bad. It's just survival of the fittest. But you and I know that to be false. Why? Because there is a creator who created that young man who's loved by God and who has rights. Make sense? Yeah, absolutely. A little disclaimer. Well, I totally agree with everything you said. The one thing I would say is given that the way our justice system works, I know I looked at that video. I don't see any way it could be construed in the officer's favor. But of course, there's yet to be a trial and, you know, yada, yada, innocent or proven guilty. But I totally agree with your point, though. And I agree with that. We need to let the court system play out. But the point I'm trying to make is that if it's just evolution, there's no grounds to be upset about it, Exactly. right? There's no grounds. Obviously, the police department saw it as serious enough to fire them all, fire them all, period. Let them have their day in court. But they were fired because there's no way it should have gotten to that. Let's go to this next clip, which is a more famous evolutionist, someone people know regularly, and it's a household name. Now, check this out. Statement from... Richard Dawkins, the arch atheist. He says the universe is nothing. We're painting. We're over here painting. What are our colors, Mr. Dawkins? The universe is nothing but a collection of atoms in motion. Human beings are simply, what are we? We are simply machines for propagating, and here's where it really matters, DNA, and the propagation of DNA is a self-sustaining process. It is every living object's sole reason for living. So this is very matrix-like. Except instead of being controlled by gigantic machines with cranes and tentacles, we're actually being controlled by very small machines, right? DNA, we are merely the hosts 
for the biological entity that is DNA that is selecting. And he wrote a book, a fascinating, groundbreaking book in 1976 titled, of all things, the what? The selfish gene. See, this is the transition. Evolution is not just taking place at the species level, it's taking place at the genetic level. In other words, let me just, let me just unpack this a little bit here. He's saying that reality at its most fundamental rock bottom, what, what, what's really going on in the universe at its core is best summarized by the idea of selfishness. Looking out for yourself. Looking out for itself. Now, of course, we cannot, we cannot impute any moral, uh, uh, you know, any sort of moral virtue or lack thereof to DNA, but, but the idea is there. That everything is ultimately about me and mine and more, not just at the species level, not just the horses and the dogs and the humans and the chimps, but the DNA. That is profound. And society today is, seems to be going that way. It's, everything is selfish. Everything is about me, my feelings, my wants, my desires, and not looking out for what's best for society at large or common to man or even to themselves. I hear you, Mr. Dawkins, and I raise you one, God is love. That's the two paradigms. And I appreciate Dawkins' honesty because there's sometimes atheists will try to say, no, like it's, the, the, there can be love, there can be rights. But really, and the other guy, um, a pretty prominent atheist, he's really with like the World Economic Forum. He's kind of their resident philosopher, Yuval Noah Harari. He also is very honest. He says, Humans are just meat puppets, right? So just fictions that we've come up with. But I appreciate their honesty because it lets us see the contrast. That's the two systems. There's one system that's based on selfishness and what's good, what's right is what you can get away with. And the other is based on self-sacrificial love, the cross. Those are the two systems. And you think of that meme, right? That says like, which way Western man or which way? Obviously the goodness of something is one evidence of its truthfulness. Then I obviously I believe there's plenty of evidence, the scientific evidence, plenty of evidence for God and a creator. But I think one that shouldn't be understated is this implication. What does it do to our system of values? And look, survival of the fittest, that phrase has become so common in society. And we see it in sports. When one team dominates another, we were just better. We see it in fights that go viral where one older kid or one stronger kid bullies somebody else. And sometimes you read some of the comments and that attitude of doggy, doggy world it's prevalent and it's destroying society. And that comes from the fact that evolution is taught everywhere. Evolution is taught in school. It's taught to young people. And it's subtle, but generation after generation believing in this, that there's no ground for ethics, there is no basis for morality, it becomes ingrained in people and we see it in society today. Here's another quote by a scientist who discovered DNA. Well, it's not only the Dawkins of the world and the Provines of the world, but men like this, some of the greatest scientific minds that the world has ever known. Francis Crick, who was responsible in 1957 with James Watson for the discovery of DNA. These guys won the Nobel Prize because they discovered DNA in 1962. Look at what he says. You, you David Asherick, you Jose Borges, 
you, Dwight Nelson, you, Kevin, you, Eline, did I get it right? You, you, Debbie, is that right? You, your joys, your sorrows, your memories, your ambitions, your sense of personal identity, and your free will, there we are again, are in fact no more than the behavior of a vast assembly of nerve cells and their associated molecules. You're dancing to your DNA. There's no you. There's no you that's unique and special and important and profound. No, 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 no. You are simply one biological, neurophysiological manifestation of DNA. So too with your roommate, so too with your mom, so too with your sister, so too with your brother. You are not at all. There is no you. There's merely the illusion in this cacophonous, complex, circuitous transaction that takes place in the brain that's creating what you think is you. But there's no you. Get over it. Welcome to the new, the brave new world of Darwinianism. Get over yourself because there is no yourself. These are not just some, you know, Incidental little scientists who are making these sorts of claims, these are some of the greatest scientists of all time. Here's a personal favorite, and it's the last quotation I'll bore you with with regards to this insanity, which is what I'm calling it. Dr. Peter Atkins says, you'll love this one. Science, he says, has no need of purpose. By the way, no one has appointed these men to speak on behalf of science. And the great scientists of the past would disagree with them at every turn. Okay. They're not speaking on behalf of science. They're speaking on behalf of their definition of science. So be clear on that. Science has no need of purpose. Now watch this. All the extraordinary, wonderful richness of the world. The coo of a baby. The tingle that you feel when you hold your lover's hand. Right? A beautiful song that crescendos and grows. The sensation that you have when you kiss your lover. The taste of a fresh mango. Right? Oh, there you go. I, you know, you talk about kissing. You talk about lovers. You talk about sunsets and babies. You talk about man mango. <laughs> now you're talking. Look at this. All the extraordinary, wonderful richness of the mango can be expressed, watch this, as growth from the dunghill of purposeless interconnected corruption. Okay, let me, just, let me just translate that for you. Give me the slide here. He basically says everything that you regard as special and beautiful and all of that is a heaping, steaming, stinking pile of dung. Man, how sad is that? There's prominent people who actually believe this and it permeates all of our school systems, public school systems, including some private school systems. The notion that there is no meaning to life and I want to look at the audience and tell them, look, you have experienced, whether you're an atheist or not, you have experienced moments that have been profoundly spiritual, if you want to put it that way. If you're an atheist and you're a woman, when you gave birth to your child, or if you were a father, when you held your child for the first hand, there's no way you didn't feel an emotional bond. And yet what they're saying is that none of it means anything. And I, I just don't buy that. I think it's connected, right? When you look at the violence we see in our society, you look at, where did I see this? I think it was on Facebook. I was reading, like the top, there was a report came on the top disciplinary issues in high schools in 1940 and it's like 
chewing gum in class, talking out of turn, cutting the people in line, whatever. And like today, it's like drugs, it's sex, it's fistfights, it's violence, it's bringing a knife to school, it's bringing a gun. Like that stuff wasn't happening in 1940. But what do you think happens when you tell a kid for eight hours a day for 12 years of their life that nothing they do really matters. There's no ultimate cosmic purpose. There's no creator who made them with inalienable rights. All they are is meat puppets to be controlled, to be whatever by the powers that be. Then of course they're going to just say like, who cares if I act out? I think these things are connected. And this notion that there is no free will it's mind-boggling because we all experience free will. We all make choices. And some would argue that those choices are illusions, but cross the street without looking both ways, and we all know what will happen. Eventually, you will get hit by a car. Why? Because our choices have consequences that are repeatable. It's not... Every choice you make doesn't have a random reaction. If you choose to jump off a building, the reality is you're going to fall unless you have a parachute or anything like that. But choices are repeatable. That is science. The world is ordered in a way that you can make repeatable observations because there is free will. Because we can make choices, because we can do and observe, because we can think but the problem is, what gets me is that a lot of people who live by this worldview have not followed it to its logical conclusion. They actually live in an amalgamation of a Christian worldview. Because, by the way, the Christian worldview is the only worldview that makes sense of all reality, that can tell you why there is suffering, that can tell you why people are mean, that can tell you why people will run into a burning building to save others. Evolution is a heartless, cruel thing that have led to atrocities in our century. Let's look at this final clip before we wrap up, but it's the conclusions. The speaker here, his name is David Ashrick. He sums up exactly what the atheistic argument is. What Darwin began to say, but he himself didn't fully understand. What Provine is saying, what Dawkins is saying, what Crick is saying, what Atkins is saying, and I could give you literally 10,000 more quotations. This is what they're saying. At the end of the day, there's no God. There is no meaning. There is no ground for ethics. There is no free will. There is no personal identity. There is no genuine relationality, and there's no wonderful richness of the mango. It's all gone. It's an illusion. It's an illusion. Welcome to the brave new world. Get used to the truth. The truth hurts. The truth cuts. But this is the truth. Suck it up. How sad is that? And do we wonder why suicide rates are up? Do we wonder why we live in a society where assisted suicide is actually encouraged? Do we wonder why there is high pornography, sex trafficking, drugs, illegal drugs? Do we wonder why? When it's just about me and survival of the fittest, then I don't care what happens to others. But when you look at it from a creator standpoint, there is sacrifice for others. I don't know. It's just, it's so demeaning what the world is going through. When you think of in the last century, like you were alluding to, all the horrors that have happened, right? The things that man has been willing to do. And you think of 
like right now, different global politicians and stuff who talk about people in such a callous way. They're like, well, you know, the earth is warming. And so in order to save the earth, the population needs to be curbed. And they talk about it in these statistics. I think of Joseph Stalin's line, if you kill one person, it's a tragedy. If you kill a million people, it's a statistic. And when you hear these people talking about what we need to do to save the earth and stuff, they're talking about vast numbers of people as if they're just like numbers. There's too many numbers, beep, bop, beep, boop. We've put in the calculations. I guess we gotta abort 1 billion more African children. Too many Indians, we gotta kill a few of them. It's so callous, but it's like, if there's no God, and if the, the only consideration you're taking in is to, in your own power, extend human civilization in perpetuity, and that's your only goal, then you can do all sorts of things because those individual people don't matter. If they're getting in the way of the greater good, who's to say that their lives are worth it? What you and I would say is that they're infinitely worth it. The creator of the universe created them in his image. They're worth it. But if there's no God, then they're just a number. And if there's no God, th those with power and money are going to do what they do to make their own family survive. And like you said, they look at others as just statistics to get rid of. And you look at communism in during the World War One and World War Two, the atrocities that they committed based on that philosophy. Now, that being said, the number one argument I hear against that is the medieval church who killed between 50 and 60 million. But that's just the point. We have to follow each person's philosophy to its conclusion. And that medieval church is not based on the reality of Jesus Christ and his teachings. When you compare their philosophy that led to their atrocities to scripture and what the Bible says about Jesus Christ, they're not even in the same planet as far as philosophy goes. And so what I appeal to everybody is follow what you believe, follow your worldview to its logical conclusion. And if you don't believe in God, what's left to you is evolution. And we just saw today by very great quotations that there is no meaning for your life. There is no sense of wonder. There is no free will. You're just a puppet of your DNA. But I don't believe that, neither does Joey. Joey, as we conclude here, give us your final thoughts on what we saw today and make an appeal to the audience. Well, I'm just going to tie on to what you said about the medieval church. And if you think of where it ties on to this evolution thing is what was the fundamental assertion that they made? It's the individual can't come to God. The individual can't have their own relationship. It's got to be the church. It's got to be the priest. What does true Christianity say? True Christianity says that Christ is our intercessor. The individual sinner can go right to Christ. And so true Christianity puts that value back on the individual. In the Middle Ages, again, people were just a number. People were just a thing to be controlled. They were just the masses. And it's very similar to like the atheist of today. My biggest appeal to the audience today would just be as like, what does your life mean? What does your family's life mean? What do your loves and hopes and dreams mean? Do you accept the notion that they're just nothing? Or do you believe that there's something more? And if there's something more, what is that more? And I would just urge you to think about that and just ponder that question. This is part one, actually. 
of people who have influenced the world in a grand scale. Here's one individual. Sometimes people say that one person can't make a difference. Well, here's one person, Charles Darwin, whose philosophy has influenced all these scientists and whose philosophy are influencing your life. Maybe not directly, but your teacher, if you're in a public school or in a public university, perhaps a lot of your friends believe in this, TV shows promote this. So you are being influenced by this. And like the speaker said, get out of the matrix. Think for yourself. You do have free will. You do have agency. And you have to follow your worldview to its logical conclusion. In a future episode, I'm not sure if it'll be the next one, we're going to look at a person who has influenced the entertainment industry. One person whose philosophies has influenced Disney, music, movies, and he's influencing your life. I know that for a fact. Joey, thank you once again for another good episode. And tell people where they can find us. Gio Marin, and you see that down there on the screen. Um, G-I-O-M-A-R-I-N, for those just listening. And my Twitter handle is Adventist Cowboy, A-D-V-E-N-T-I-S-T-C-O-W-B-O-Y. And you can subscribe to us on YouTube as well if you're listening on the podcast. Look us up, The Geo and Joey Show. Until next time, be blessed, stay positive, and think for yourself. (laughs) 